2 Timothy chapter number 4, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and aren't you glad God never gave up on you? 2 Timothy chapter number 4, that actually ties in pretty well with the Bible study tonight, and of course we've been in our series Ministry Companions uh, for several weeks now, we've come to 2 Timothy 4, come to the end of the Apostle Paul's life, and uh, there's so much that is in 2 Timothy chapter number 4, but we have been focusing uh, on the individuals that Paul mentions. And uh, tonight, I'm not going to read as much as I have been reading. I'm going to get right to the text tonight, and uh, we're going to be looking at verse number 16. And uh, verse number 16 is a verse uh, that for as long as I can remember has troubled me. Uh, there are several verses in the Bible that every time I read them and think about them, they trouble me. They trouble my soul. They trouble my spirit. Uh, for example, in the book of 1 Samuel, uh, where it says the lamp of God went out, that, that just something about that verse bothers me and troubles me. Uh, it troubles me when I read about, uh, uh, for example, um, um, uh, I feel like Joe Biden, for example, uh, of, uh, uh, what's that guy? Samson, yeah. Uh, for example... That was mean, wasn't it? For example, uh, Samson, uh, when the Bible says that um, the lamp, not the lamp of God went out, but uh, the Spirit w left him and he wished it not. He had no idea the Spirit of God had left him. That troubles me. Tonight our text, if you look at it with me, verse 16 of 2 Timothy 4, at my first answer, no man stood with me. That has always bothered me. Uh, this is the Apostle Paul. This is a man who God used to take the gospel to Europe, take the gospel to the Gentiles. We tonight uh, benefit from the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Yet, when he comes to the end of his life, he says, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. That first statement doesn't bother you. The second statement ought to add to it and bother you. All men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Tonight we know the, the context of this verse. We know that Paul is coming to the end of his life. He's already mentioned many by the time we get to this point. He mentions, some specific, he mentions them specifically by name. We know he's writing to Timothy, and he admonishes Timothy to come to him. We know that he's mentioned Luke by name. Uh, Luke is with me. We know that he mentions uh, um, John Mark. We know that he mentions Demas. We know that he mentions Alexander. Uh, but now he doesn't mention anybody specifically, but he mentions a group collectively of all the people that Paul had influenced, of everyone that Paul had reached with the gospel. Now, in fairness, some he had sent with the letters to go. Some he had sent to serve in ministry. But even excluding them of everybody, now when Paul comes to the end of his life, there's nobody that would stand with him. Tonight, we're going to talk about, in this series of ministry companions, we're going to talk about fearful companions. Fearful companions. Now, tonight, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and we're going to get right into it. Tonight, I'm going to move very, very quickly, and there's some powerful truths of what I'm going to teach tonight. 
And some of this is uncomfortable because of the world we live in and the culture we live in. Uh, but I want to be scriptural and not scripturally correct and not politically correct. Uh, but you're going to have put into words tonight where I stand on many things, and it's where we all ought to stand. We ought to make our decision tonight when we go through this Bible study, this is what I want to be or this is what I don't want to be. So I want to talk about those fearful companions tonight. Father, I pray that you'll help us as we look into the Word of God. I pray that the Spirit of God would instruct us and convict us where we need to be convicted, encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Father, may we see some things here that help us be a better companion in ministry. Father, we do not know the value you do, but I don't think we understand the value of what encur- of encouraging another brother or sister in Christ is. I don't think we understand the value to somebody who's beaten down and discouraged to know that somebody else is praying for them and somebody else is there for them. Father, may we see a glimpse of that tonight. May you help us to be the person we should be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I hope that we've seen in these studies some of the greatness of the Apostle Paul. Uh, It was evidenced in many, many ways, and we're going to see in this passage specifically one of the virtues Paul possessed, and that was forgiveness wrapped in grace. We're also going to see another group of people Paul experienced in his ministry, those who flee in the midst of adversity. You and I need to be reminded tonight that right and wrong are always at odds with each other. Truth and error always oppose each other. Sin and holiness are at odds with each other. The Bible and the philosophy of this world are not in agreement. So I am reminding that, us of that tonight because I want us to be reminded that if we are to do anything for God, eventually we're going to find opposition in the work of the Lord. The church of the Lord never has been, and it, quite frankly, it's not going to be mainstream in this world. The church can have favor, and the ch- a church that is true to the Word of God will have favor. But there is going to be adversity. And some uh, love to wave their Bible until there's adversity. Some proud to be an old-time Baptist until there's adversity. Some appreciate what the church has done for them until there's adversity. Some, and I have such great admiration for those unnamed martyrs who were bound to a wooden stake and said, you recant Jesus Christ or we're going to burn you here alive. And instead of recanting, they begin to preach in Jesus' name. And they gave their lives in spite of the adversity. I don't know if you've ever read any of those stories, but you talk about convicting, you talk about uh, uh, heart-wrenching, but you talk about stories that ought to motivate you and, and see those who are who, who to the, with the cause of Christ, they are dedicated. But not everybody's that way. I, I love our nation. 
but not, sadly, not everybody. There, there, there's a battle right now for the soul of our nation. But just because everybody waves a flag on the 4th of July doesn't mean everybody's willing to fight and stand in the face of adversity. The point I'm making tonight is Paul faced those who fled in the midst of adversity. Let me give you some historical background to what we read tonight. Paul was facing a trial for accusations made against him. Paul was a prisoner during the reign of Nero who was persecuting Christians. Nero is well known in history for uh, persecuting uh, hundreds and thousands of Christians. He, was, he would take the, the heads of Christians and, and put them in poles throughout the city. He would use the bodies of those who, 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 who dedicated themselves to Christ. He would use them as human torches to light the city. That is the context of Paul being in prison. Now, Paul, which would be typical was more than likely, and he speaks of it, given a preliminary hearing before his full trial. That's what he means by at my first answer. He was first answering the charges that were brought against him. Now Paul finds himself facing the entire weight of the most powerful court in the world alone. While it is true that anyone who stood by Paul when he defended himself likely would have been jailed with him and perhaps even executed in the greatest crisis of his life while experiencing the greatest need, the Apostle Paul finds himself alone, abandoned, with no companions to offer him encouragement, comfort, and strength. Think of that. You're not the first one to feel all alone in this world. You won't be the last either. Well, I'm the only one in my office who... I'm the only one in my family. Well, that could be an uncomfortable position to be in, but could you imagine being the Apostle Paul and dedicating after your salvation, your entire life, to preaching the gospel, to reaching, and then when you get down to it, you get it, you're in, you're, you're, you've, been, you've been accused of civil unrest, and, among other things, and now you're going to give an account and your life is on the line. That's the background that we find the Apostle Paul when he says that my first answer, the process has begun. No man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Now, I've got three, th three, three things I want to point out tonight, want us to see, and I'm going to move as quick as I can. And the first point especially, just so you know, is going to be a lengthy point. Don't let that discourage you to think you're never going to get out tonight because number two is very, very quick. And then number three is somewhere in the middle. I want to look first of all, number one, at Paul's report. As he writes to Timothy, he reports to him in verse number 16, at my first answer, the trial is beginning, the proceedings have begun, no man stood with me. Notice that phrase. His report is, no man stood with me. Now, it is very important to notice what Paul says here. But it is also important for you and I, don't miss this, to also notice what he did not say here. <clears throat> he did not say, no man believed in me. Certainly, there were Christians all over the region that believed in Paul in spite of the charges against him. He did not say, no man defended me. Certainly there were Christians who 
encountered others in the marketplace or in their home who defended Paul to them against the accusations brought against him. He did not say, no man loved me. Without a doubt, the Apostle Paul was still loved in spite of his residence being a prison. That's not what he said. No, Paul said, no man stood with me. Listen very carefully. There are times when we do not need someone to take our defense or proclaim their love for us. What we need is someone to stand with us. See, Paul stood alone. Though falsely accused, he was forced to defend himself. There was no one who by their mere presence said, I know this man's character and I know this man's integrity. No one who stood with him just so he was not alone. See, it was at this time, it would have been a perfect time for his friends to come alongside him. See, what Paul was saying when Paul said no one stood with him, he was saying that no one was willing to identify with him. He did not say no one believed in him. He did not say nobody defended him. He did not say nobody loved him. But what he was saying when he said nobody stood with him is nobody was willing to identify with Paul. Nobody wanted to be labeled as a companion of prisoner Paul. He was not only facing serious accusations, but the scorn that came with them. Is this not why the Pharisees got so angry with our Lord? The fact that Christ dared identify with sinners after the religious elite had condemned them enraged them when Christ identified with them. See, this is something that we need to remember because we're going to be on both sides of this equation. Christians should stand alongside other Christians. The Bible commands us to love one another. We should be willing to defend one another. I want to go on record tonight as saying, I believe in you. That's what I wish some of you could see that I, that, that I harass you a little bit. What are you doing with your life? It's because I believe in you. Hey, it's your pastor again. It's not because I'm upset with you. It's not because I'm trying to condemn you. It's because I believe in you. We should believe in one another. But what we need many times in our life is not just somebody to say, hey, I love you. Somebody to say, I'm willing to stand by you and be identified with you. Christians should stand alongside other Christians. Not only when times are good, but when times are hard. Not only when they are innocent, but also when they are guilty. I've stood besides falsely accused friends. I know how it feels to merely be attacked for standing by a friend. 
Listen very carefully. Standing is not the same as defending. There was a, there was a preacher who took a public stand against me in this church. He later called me to tell me that he had defended me to brother so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, I would have much rather him be willing to stand and be identified with me than in a private conversation defend me. Does this make sense? There comes a time standing is not the same as defending. It's being willing to identify this is my friend. This is my brother and sister in Christ. Let me help you before I get ahead. How many of you are perfect tonight? There are three of you I had a question about, so I'm glad to see you didn't raise your hand. Standing by, listen very carefully, standing by a friend does not mean you are defending them against accusations. Standing by them means you are showing your friendship. I want to go on record tonight and not only say that I love you, that I will defend you, I want to go on record tonight to, to, to say that I don't, not only do I believe in you, but I'm willing to stand with you. No matter what you face, I'm willing to identify with you. Now, with this in mind, there are three possible scenarios that can take place when someone is accused. Now, let me clarify something very carefully tonight. We hear the word accused and we automatically think of a crime. But when you get on the phone and you gossip about somebody else, you're accusing. Well, this is why Pastor did that. That's an accusation. Pastor, I need to tell you about, about so-and-so. I know this is why they did that. That's an accusation. And it can be as serious as the Apostle Paul faced, or it can be, quote-unquote, petty as slander with a tongue. It's an accusation. And I want to go, I want you to know, I think you have a pretty good sense of where your pastor stands on things, but tonight I'm verbalizing it so that you get a good and clear record. Nobody, nobody out, outside these church walls needs to come to me to make an accusation about one of you, any of my church members. And we got to be very, very careful that we don't lay accusations at one another. Something as simple and as petty as this. Well, I know why they act that way. They're just not a good parent. That's an accusation. We need to be very, very careful. So I want to clarify, there's extremes to those accusations. There's three scenarios that we must be aware of when there's an accusation made and then by looking at these scenarios, we're going to see our role, what it should be, because quite frankly, it troubles me that the Apostle Paul had to give a report and say, no man stood with me. Now we'll see next week if there was somebody else standing with him. So friend, I'll tell you that if you have to stand all by yourself, there's one that will never leave you nor forsake you. 
I don't want to get ahead of myself. Because we're going to be on both sides of this. The first scenario is this. The accusations could be false. We are living in a day when you are no longer innocent until proven guilty. You are guilty until proven innocent. Let me help everybody in here with something. It's not somebody's responsibility to prove what well, this, in this situation. They, they, they didn't prove themselves innocent. You can't prove yourself innocent against an accusation. There's no way you can prove yourself innocent. I can do something as simple as go to somebody and say, I think brother so-and-so is beating his wife. And we can call him up in front of the church and say, prove you didn't do that. How's he supposed to do that? But yet you'll read something on the internet. Well, I'm waiting for sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so to prove he's innocent. You can't prove you're innocent. That's why our justice system in our nation, built on Bible principles, was your innocent until proven guilty. But we live in a society today that you are guilty until proven innocent. There's some of you in here, and you've allowed somebody to do an injustice to you because they said something to you about another church member, and you've been carrying it around thinking it's true because you've seen nothing to disprove what they've told you. That's unjust. In, after an accusation is made, you are assumed guilty and you can prove yourself innocent, which in some cases can never be proven. This is devastating our society. So we see, first of all, the accusations could be false. Friends often abandon their accused friends. They are left to stand alone in defending themselves. It is better to stand by someone and later discover they are guilty than to abandon them only for it to be revealed that they were innocent. Listen very carefully. Our responsibility is not to decide whether they are innocent or guilty, but to stand by them while they defend themselves. To stand by them while God does what God chooses to do. That is not compromise, that is not cover up, that is caring about a friend. And we have to be very, very careful how we handle accusations. It's friend, who, who's the accuser of the brethren? Okay, I'm going to, the Bible's not as deep as we like to make it. How many of you are brethren? Let me rephrase that. How many of you are saved, born again, blood-bought on your way to heaven? Well, guess what? You're brethren. Guess who's got an accuser? You do. Every single one of you. And he would love for brother so-and-so to accuse this brother so-and-so or to assume something so that there's a rift in the church. But when an accusation is made, we have a responsibility to stand by our friend. That's the first scenario. The accusation could be untrue. The second is this. The accusation could be true, but the treatment unjust. The allegations, listen very, very carefully to me tonight. 
the allegations made against Paul were true in some ways. Among other things, Paul was accused of causing civil unrest by his teaching. Technically, this was true, but the truth of the message was causing the unrest, not Paul. His treatment was terribly unjust. They accused him because they hated his message and his Savior. This was an attempt to eliminate the messenger because of the message. Another example of this is internet justice and mob rule. Tonight, as we meet, there are rioters burning cities and condemning law enforcement due to the mob exercising their version of justice. Don't miss this. The rioters may be right in their assessment of guilt of a certain event, but they are wrong in their unjust declarations and actions. They have not been established as the authority to make those decisions. And a Twitter law degree is not an administrator of justice. We see this play out in our nation. It is an excuse, and we've all said it, if not out loud in our minds. What's taken up? They're using this as an excuse. Now, that is true, but this also plays out on the Internet, sadly, amongst professing Christians. And dare I say it, even so-called pastors. They believe their call to destruction supersedes our legal system, and all who disagree must be silenced, shamed, and destroyed. Hey, the political theater is all over everything. I mean, we watched it in, in, with the whole Judge Kavanaugh situation. Something new comes out all the time in any situation. There is a, there is a, there's a precedent. Now, say, well, well, Pastor, what if the accusation could be true, but the treatment unjust? Because sometimes all of the factors do not play out. And injustice is an injustice. And by the way, just so you know where I stand, whenever a Christian makes an alliance with those who hate God, hate His church, and hate His men, the decision is easy for me. I'll stand with the accused. But there's fearful friends because the scorn that comes with it. That's the second scenario when there's an accusation made. The third is the accusation could be true. Now, in the minds of many people, sadly, and even Christians, this is the one that is 100% of the time. The other two are just theories. But the accusation could be true. And, I, and, and I, I hate to admit this to you tonight, but I've stood beside guilty people. I'm being sarcastic when I say I hate that. There have been situations where they have admitted their guilt immediately. I was never sorry to have stood by them. I stood by them not because they were innocent or guilty. I stood by them because I was being a friend. And as a pastor, I'm going to preach this book. I'm going to cheer for you. I'm going to pray for you. If I need to confront you, I will confront you. But I'll confront you and then stand next to you until you can get it together. 
My responsibility is to restore anyone who has fallen. That's why I choose to stand beside the accused, even with the possibility of their guilt. The frontiersman Jim Bowie, who died in the Alamo, there's a story that he was in a fight in a saloon with two or three men at one time. He was a big man, a brawler of a man. When the fight was over, he walked over to a friend of his and he said, called him by name and said, why didn't you help me? And he said, well, Jim, you started it. And he looked at him and he said, don't you think I know that? If I had, if I had not started it, I, he said, that's why I needed a friend. If I wasn't at fault, I would have had plenty of them. Think about that. There are consequences, but we need to remember uh, we stand by the accused regardless of whether they are innocent or guilty. Standing beside somebody, remember, does not mean we're even assuming they're innocent. Let me illustrate. Several years ago, many years ago, there was a lady who was a member of our church who had been charged with physically abusing their child. She had lost her temper and crossed well over the line of discipline. While she appeared before a judge, there was a member of our staff in the courtroom. When she, while she received his ruling and the subsequent sentencing, the staff member was not there to defend or condemn this individual, but simply to be there. In fact, we were the ones that reported the abuse. Now, if that was spun... In today's world, it would be church endorses beating children by standing in the courtroom with member. But regardless, nobody should have to say, no one stood with me. We are to be a friend, we are to be that companion who is to help the innocent or the guilty. I hope this makes sense. This is Paul's report. Nobody stood with me. It's important to remember that... uh, Well, I'll not rehash that. Number two. This is the very quick one. Paul's reality. Look at your text again. At my first answer... I appeared for the first time in the, in, in, the, in the courtroom. No man stood with me, but now here's his reality. That's the report. Here's the reality. All men forsook me. Timothy, I'll let you know. I responded to the charges. And my report is, nobody would have stood with me. Stood with me. Then the reality begins to sink in, perhaps. All men forsook me. I have to ask myself the question, what would I have done if I had been there? What would you have done? That's a hard question to ask and answer, honestly. Would you have distanced yourself from him? Would you have forsook him? When somebody is facing adversity, they're facing a valley. When they're facing things that are difficult, it's a lonely place to be. I quite frankly, I pray this is never the reality of 
my ministry companions, the reality is that no one stood with me. In my lowest time, there was nobody to stand with me. Now we come to number three. I told you number two would be quick. Don't get excited about number three yet. We find Paul's response. Now, I've taken some time in the introduction. I've taken the time in number one to go over what I think is very, very important in the day we live in and amongst Christian people. Now, I want to remind you there's no new thing under the sun. What we face, Christians have been facing for generations. There's nothing new. This book still is true. It's still relevant. In what we have faced in the past, not just us in our life, but in generations as a Christian, until Jesus calls us home, we're going to face these things in the future. And so we must know how to respond, and we can learn from those that responded correctly. We can learn from those that didn't respond correctly. And we find this group, these fearful friends, that when Paul needed them the most, gone. They did not want to identify with Paul, because let's be quite honest, Paul wasn't in his heyday. Maybe there were some who sat back and said, yep, he's finally getting what he deserved. After all, before he got saved, he killed Christians. Don't you go down there and... Maybe there was a ministerial association that would shame somebody for going down there because they had deemed, after all, this is a fitting way for Paul to come to his end. Sad. But notice something. This, I, hope, I hope what I've already said helps us. But what I'm going to say in number three helps me, if nobody else. We find Paul's response. His report is, no man stood with me. His reality is, but all men forsook me. Now notice his response. I pray God. Now if I'm praying, kills them. I pray God that it be not, that it may not be laid to their charge. Why in the world? Good Christians bother me. Don't they bother you? Because they convict. Nobody stood with me. Everybody forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Why? Because he realized what made them flee his presence was fear. Now, we have said a lot between the beginning and now, but don't forget, Nero is on the throne. Nero is using the body of Christians to light the city. Nero has made it a mission in his life to destroy, to kill, to eradicate those <coughs> who claimed that, that Jesus was the rightful king, that Jesus was the risen Savior. He was actively trying to kill them and all of their family. So before we're too hard on them, we must realize what Paul realized that it was dangerous and they were afraid. They were afraid, perhaps, of what somebody else would say to them. Oh, you identify with Paul? 
Well, if, if he didn't deserve to be there, he wouldn't be there. You identify with him? Oh, you're one of those Christians, and then now they are marked. Paul understood their fear. Now, now let me, let me, let me, that, that, that's worded very carefully. He understood their fear. He didn't justify their fear. He understood their fear. He didn't excuse their fear. He understood it and exhibited compassion and mercy. Sometimes, I have to be honest with you, I'm being very, I'm being very transparent tonight. There are sometimes I look at situations, I look at the actions of Christians, I look at the actions of, of, of preachers, and I say, they ought to know better. That, what are they, why, are they, why are they afraid? But we must understand that some people, and maybe tonight, we all can say to some degree, we have fears. And Paul, when he stood there, and he gave his first answer to the charges alone in the most powerful court on the planet with the corpses of Christians, perhaps people he had personally won the Christ on skewers for the whole city to see. No, I'm reporting, nobody stood with me. The reality is, I'm all alone. Everybody's forsaken me. But he understood why. There's, this, is, this is big Christian stuff, if I can put it like this. He did not excuse it. He did not justify it, but he understood it. Now, there's two things I want you and I to see from Paul's reaction. Are you ready? First of all, he did not take it personally. Because he understood why, he did not take it personally. Many times we take the responses of people personally. Why didn't they stand more for me? Or why did they feel this way about me? Why did they, they, they take it personally? And if you have ever been in a situation like Paul, and there are some who fled, who were, I'll never leave you. I'll always be there for you. I imagine the Apostle Paul had some people like that. Man, if he had, I wonder if he got his phone now and said, hey, cool, I got to send a text real quick. Brother so-and-so, where you at? But he didn't take it personally. See, when this happens, we find it difficult not to be angry. Has anybody ever, ever, ever left you? You ever get angry about it? Not this group, I know. Don't miss this. Instead of keeping our focus on battling the enemies of God, we focus on our companions and what they should have done, whether rightfully so or in our mind. See, when we react in Scripture, we hurt ourselves more than the person who forsook us. Paul understood this. He did not take it personally. Friend, this is a good time for you and I to be reminded that it's not about you. It's not even about me. It's about the cause of Christ. And instead of Paul taking it personal 
and in his writings now he's bitter. The Spirit of God, it can't move. He's not what he's supposed to be. You know, instead of spending it being that way, now he's blaming. No, he could look at it as this is where God's got me. God can, every man can leave me, but if God wants to deliver me, he can still deliver me. I mean, Peter was in prison awaiting execution, and the angel came and opened the door. I mean, God is capable. But instead of looking at how this person deserted me and this person deserted me, he kept his eyes where they should be, and we'll see this more next week. And he did not get bitter because he didn't take it personally. Number two, he took it prayerfully. Notice what the Bible says. I pray God. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't wonder if anybody has ever said Boy, I pray to God that he just did. It's a different prayer that Paul prayed. Don't miss this. This is, oh, this is so convicting. But if you and I could grasp this, it's life changing. If we could grasp this, there's a brother and sister in Christ that I believe that at some point can be salvaged. If we can grasp this, no matter what we face in our life, God will get the glory He prayed for those who forsook him. Let me remind you, Job was delivered out of his battle when he prayed for his friends. Prayer delivers us from the bitterness that can arise when friends desert us in our hour of need. Now, don't misunderstand me. When our ministry companions flee and refuse to stand with us due to their own fear, it causes hurt. It's something for all of us as a church to be reminded, those those of us that are here tonight and those that are watching tonight on live stream, we have the capability of hurting each other more than this world has the capability of hurting us. Quite frankly, they've got no power over the church. This is God's church. This Bible is very clear, and that's why there's clear warnings of how you and I are to conduct ourselves. That's why it's important. That's why in accus- we, be, we were so flippant with accusations we made. Well, I know this is why they did that. I know that's why brother so-and-so did that. I know what then we assign our motive to them. That's an accusation. It should not happen amongst God's people. If there's any place where we ought to give one another the benefit of the doubt, isn't it amongst the brethren? Is it amongst our brothers and sisters in Christ? We have the ability to hurt one. That's why every one of you in here, you need to stay close to the Lord. Because if you fall away from God and you get out of fellowship with God, you're going to hurt somebody. Well, and I've already, I've said a lot tonight, so I'll just, I'll just say it like this. This world has caused me less pain than Christians have. Ninety five point eight nine percent of all the problems I've ever had haven't come from a lost world. It's come from Christians. Now, first of all, that should not be so. The point I'm making is 
we have the ability to hurt one another. I'm not minimizing the hurt and the pain that, is, that would cause if, I mean, through this whole pandemic thing, bless God, I'm having church down there, and I, I'm doing it. We're getting back, and we're opening it up, and we're doing this, and I'm going to be there. If nobody else is there, and I walk to the pulpit, and it's like, well, nobody's here. I'm here to tell you that would hurt my feelings a little bit. Now, that did not, obviously did not happen. It was like, whoa, we're waiting. Well, anyway, uh, you know, that, 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 it would hurt my feelings. So we have the, so I'm not minimizing the hurt. So, but how do I thwart the seed of bitterness from taking root in my life? I pray. Paul prayed. Paul's got a pen, he's got a parchment, and he's sending a letter to Timothy. I wonder when he said nobody stood with me, I wonder if anybody came to his mind who could have said, brother so-and-so deserted me, and brother so-and-so deserted me, and sister so-and-so, I'm glad she left, but, uh, but this person, this, they deserted me, and they deserted me, and, uh, and Pastor Paul, we feel led of the Spirit. I agree with you, Spirit said go. So, I mean, he's, making, he's calling this list. And, no, he says, I pray God not lay it to their charge. Now, listen very careful, carefully. I've got just another minute. Remember Demas? Demas forsook Paul. Yet Paul did not pray, don't lay it to his charge. Remember Alexander? We talked about Alexander that last week. Paul prayed for Alexander, didn't he? He said, Lord, reward him according to his evil works. We find a different prayer here for those who deserted, those who, because of fear, fled. Forgiveness wrapped in grace. Paul was worthy of somebody standing with him. Paul was worthy to be, if there's ever a man that should not have been forsaken, it's the Apostle Paul. Paul said, God, I pray you don't lay it to their charge. It's a different prayer than those that did evil. It's a different prayer than the one who went, forsook Paul and went to the world. These others had abandoned Paul because their faith had failed them. Not everyone was willing to hazard their life as Paul was. The difference we see here is essential for us to be aware of. Some people forsake us because they fear the consequences of standing with us. I hate to say this, but in this world we live in, you know it's true. If you're going to be a Bible believer, you're going to pay a price. In every town, there's that church. And if you haven't figured it out yet, in this town... We that church. What does that mean? We're not budging off of this book. We believe this Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe in salvation by grace. We believe there's a heaven and a hell. We believe the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, was the spotless lamb that paid for the sins of this world, rose from the dead, three days later ascended into heaven with the commission for the church as the founder and the head of the church, 
to reach the world with the gospel, we believe that we should still live holy lives. That's not popular. But he prayed for it not to be laid to their, to their charge. I finished with this. Paul did not judge his fearful companions because of how they treated him. He actually asked God not to judge them for their actions. There's a lot in this lesson, and much I breeze through. It starts with standing. He said, nobody stood with me. He didn't say nobody believed in me, nobody loved me, nobody defended me. He said, nobody was willing to be identified with me. I personally, with God as my helper, have made my decision that none of my friends will never have to say, no man stood with me. Now, that, whether you consider me a friend or not, that includes you and that. You know, that's the way it ought to be for all of us. Well, let me find out what's going on, and then I'll decide. If it ain't your place to know what's going on, you don't need to know what's going on. And you'll be much better off not... What do you, you don't make the decision anyway, so how does it help you? Well, I got to decide if the right decision was made. Uh, we, we, don't act, we would never publicly act, well, some would act publicly either way, but that's really what we're saying. Something's going on with brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so. I want them to know that I'm with them. Don't be afraid of the rhetoric of this world. And there's mob justice, internet justice. We're going to mark this. Don't, if you identify with this, we're going to destroy you as well. But as the brothers and sisters, as ministry companions, we ought to be willing to stand with one another, identify with one There's some powerful truths in here. Some you're going to have to chew on for a little bit. And when the book comes out, you'll have to reread the chapter over and over again. Uh, let's all stand together. Father, I pray.